Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on our unblushing theme, I'm supposed to be grateful for this? This is The Full Meal, the entire show recorded live, exploring stories that we're not sure how we feel about. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. We are back at the Visual Arts Collective in the Searle Mitchell Live, Work, Create district of Garden City, Idaho. I'm Artistic Director Jody Eichelberger. Now we feast on multiple courses of stories with our host Beth Norton and our featured storytellers Melanie Fillmore, Sky, and Ben Kemper, intermixed with a community story slam. Hope you have room for dessert. It's late night stories. Hello, hello, story, story night. It is eight o'clock. We are punctual. <laughs> the lights are coming up. Some lights are going down. Those people are talking about their seats. Hi, how are you guys tonight? Hey. <laughs> hey, nice to see you. Welcome to Story Story Late Night, the special holiday edition, Am I Supposed to Be Grateful for This? Thank you. I'd like to introduce our band tonight, a grateful trio. We'll find out later if, if we feel grateful for them, but so far, I feel like the feelings are good. Um, we have Thomas Paul and Sean, whose name I don't know, last name. That's <laughs> Sean Hatton. Sean Hatton. Yeah. Yeah. And, Sean, that guy. And Bernie on the bass. And Bernie Riley. Yeah. So, Thanks for having us. Uh, if you notice, uh, we are on the set of a show called Nightfall. So normally it's not a circus, but it might be a circus tonight. Um, and that show's happening Friday and Saturday. It's burlesque, aerial silks, juggling, dancing. Um, so if you uh, feel like a show this weekend, you should come check that out. How many people were here for October's show? Awesome. Yeah. So if you're here for October's show, you know that we were on the set of a play called Hot Asian Doctor Husband, and we were sitting under this beautiful tree. Uh, it was an Ali Rep performance, which I got to go see, and it was an amazing play. If you missed it, um, I'm so sorry. You should feel a heavy dose of FOMO for it. Um, it was amazing. Um, and uh, if you did miss it and you are feeling FOMO, uh, you can catch Ali Rep's next um, show, Cabaret, December 2nd, through New Year's Eve. Yes. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. It's directed by Buffy Maine and Jody Eichelberger, and tickets are available at alleyrep.com. So definitely come check that out. Um, clap if this is your first story story night. Your first ever story story night. Whoa. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Um, so how our night works, uh, we have three featured storytellers for you that have um, worked on their story um, with myself and Jody, our artistic director, um, and their networks. Uh, they've been working on these stories for weeks, um, and they are a bit longer and more curated on the theme. And intermixed with those stories, uh, we have our story slammers, and those are five-minute spontaneous stories told on the theme. Anybody here can slam, so you can head over to our slammer booth and to our volunteer Thane and write your name on the slip, and then we'll pull those at random. 
You will have five minutes to tell your story. At about four and a half minutes, I'll get up, and in about five minutes, I'll start creeping towards you um, to let you know that your time is up. Um, that gets awkward, so try to get off the mic. Um, I want to welcome some of our board members that we have in the house. Um, please welcome our president, Caroline, Carolyn Val. Oh, I should have figured out how to say your name. Valiquette, Carolyn Valiquette, our treasurer, Terry Lawrence, and our new members, Nathan Pittman and Rue Schwartz. Thank you, welcome to the board. Thank you for your work. Uh, so this is, this is a community uh, as much as it is a performance. And so we want you to listen to the stories, but we also really want you to tell your stories. So please consider putting your name in the slammer um, bucket. And also please consider submitting to be a featured storyteller. Um, you, can, you can email me at, I don't know what my email is, <laughs> story seeker, I think is one, story at storystorynight.org. Um, and we, we just would love to hear your stories and work with you and uh, for us all to hear each other's stories. So thank you for being here. That's all my announcements, yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so, a question. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks for the feedback, <laughs> I love it. I actually prefer this to emails, so. <laughs> thank you for not like sitting on it and seething the whole, if you guys didn't hear what he said, he said that I didn't introduce myself. This is cool. I'm gonna pretend that you're not hitting on me right now. Okay. <laughs> My name is Beth Norton. Um, nice to meet you, sir. And I am, uh, I am the um, curator of the show and the host and uh, a comedian by trade, and I am happy to be here. So thank you. And you are? Pat Haas. Pat Haas, Pat Haas everybody. Pat Haas. <laughs> thank you for your inspiration. Oh, and this is your wife, okay. <laughs> and what's your name? Allison. Allison, welcome Allison. <laughs> I feel like Pat, Pat, you might want to put your name in the slammer bucket. I feel like you might have some, some stories. You're basically up here already. Um. <laughs> so the theme tonight, um, am I supposed to be grateful for this, is something I would ask myself a lot in the moment and in retrospect um, when it came to um, childhood family vacations. <laughs> Um, some of you who have been here before, you might have heard some of my stories. Um, just a little bit of background. My uh, childhood was a train wreck, and uh, I spent most of it in some form of foster care, um, and then moving all around, and family members, and all that kind of crazy stuff. And then uh, when I was nine, I went to live with a family who I would live with until I was 17. And uh, there were some pros and cons to that. Um, they were, I got to stay in one place for a few years. That was kind of nice. I was being fed, um, and that was also nice as well. And I had shelters, so that was great. The state was happy. They got their money's worth. Um, 
And some of the cons, though, were like, I don't think trauma-informed was a thing in the 90s, <laughs> because my foster parents definitely weren't. And um, also, they, they really, like, they didn't have children of their own, so they really wanted us to be theirs. And like, I was nine when I came to them, so there was no way that I was gonna like be able to forget my past <laughs> and move, like, move on um, at that point, just to have those skills yet. And um, uh, they, they also were really strict. It was a little bit easier to live there um, as a younger child, but as I grew to be a teenager, um, I watched what had happened to my older foster sisters happen to me in that um, my foster parents were just, just really strict. Um, they didn't let us like watch anything over PG on TV. We couldn't really dress the way we wanted to. You know, weren't allowed to go out, do normal teenage things. Um, and sometimes I wondered if I should be grateful for that. I think part of me kind of is because I'm still a little uptight and maybe that's like my saving grace sometimes. Um, but as a teenager, it really sucked and I really struggled. Um, and, and one time uh, I remember I had a social worker. Um, oh, but then uh, the con, the, the pro is that they did take us on vacation. So that was, a, that was an upside. And I once had a social worker um, tell me that I was lucky. Um, that they took us on vacation, which I, I knew even then, like I was a lot of things as like a traumatized kid, but I was not fucking lucky. <laughs> uh, and I knew, I knew that. Um, and she didn't know the kind of vacations that we went on. Like these were timeshare people, you guys. And yeah, and they were really frugal. So we would find ourselves like at, in Tahoe, but like right after all the snow had melted. <laughs> So it was just like us and there'd be that like one brown patch in a shady spot and we'd be like trying to make a, a dirty snowman being like, we're foster kids. <laughs> or like, uh, this is one we went on a lot. Um, we had this like silver Ford Taurus that had a seat in the middle in the front and so I was the youngest for a while so I had to sit in that seat like right up front between my foster dad and my foster mom. And uh, we would drive for like 10 hours with like pre-planned, you know, pee breaks only once every like three to four hours, um, only to arrive in the San Diego desert at the Lawrence Welk Resort. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just like golf courses and pools and like old men who were tanning and, um, uh, and so, you know, like we were still like fucked up little kids, so it's like it wasn't like, you know, that fun ever. And um, but we did go to a lot of ice cream socials, like they have a lot of those things at, at resorts, and um, uh, you know, caused a lot of trouble. Um, so we definitely like represented uh, who we were in those in those environments. Um, I remember one time when I was a teenager. Um, there was a time when things started to turn around for me. We went on vacation and I was probably like, I don't know, 15 or 16. And um, by this time, my older foster sisters had moved out. I had two younger foster sisters and um, my foster parents had rented a condo and it was, um, they were being cheap about it, of course, so it was only two bedrooms. So they had a bedroom and my two younger sisters had a bedroom and I had to sleep on the couch in the living room. And like being a teenager, I was not having that. <laughs> it's like nothing was fair, because nothing was fair, but that wasn't fair. I'm pretty sure I threw a fit about it. Um, but then like nighttime came and everybody went into their bedrooms and I like pulled out my 
fold out couch bed and, you know, and, um, and uh, I realized, uh, couldn't, couldn't sleep, and I realized that I had a TV all to myself right in front of me that probably didn't have parental controls on it. And uh, I knew that this was like totally not allowed. I'd get in so much trouble if I got caught. But I um, like crept, you know, scooted to the very end of my like pull-out bed, so my face was really close to the TV. And I turned it on like really low, and I'm like sweating and keeping an eye on the doors because my little sisters would definitely narc if they came out. So I had to worry about them as well. Um, and I flip through the channels until I find. Um, a show about these like four glamorous women living in New York City and <laughs> my eyes <laughs> widen and it just happens to be the episode where Samantha becomes a lesbian <laughs> and she's in the bathtub with her like hot artist Latina lover and they're having a very deep emotional relationship oriented conversation and you can see nearly all of their boobs. And I remember being like, I, would, I, am, I am gonna get in so much trouble if they come out here right now. <laughs> like I'm definitely not allowed to be watching this and it felt so good, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and also it felt so good, you know. <laughs> I didn't know I had felt that way. I could feel that way before. I, I'm not gonna tell you what happened after that. <laughs> but I, I, I do kind of wish that I still had that contact info of that social worker so I could tell her like, you know what, I am really grateful that my foster parents took me on vacation. Like I still really like girl on girl porn, so. <laughs> that, that is my story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think we're going to go right into our first featured storyteller. Yes, we are. Um, this is their first time to the Story Story Night stage, um, and they will introduce themselves. Please welcome Mel. That's nice. I certainly don't get that in my class when I'm coming in to teach my students. Uh, yeah, I'm not a comedian, so I'm sorry for you. Uh, I'm Mel Fillmore. I am a partner of 16 years. Looking at you, buddy. Uh, I'm a parent. We're parents to two kids that are way smarter than we are. Really smart. And um, I'm the one sister Ty calls me, uh, I'm an indigenous nerd, which is kind of like a regular nerd, except, um, you know, that's a nerd that's in a PhD program in public policy and administration. Um, except I'm indigenous, and I am uh, ethnically mixed, racially mixed, um, citizen of the um, Standing Rock Sioux tribe of North and South Dakota. Uh, to describe that another way, um, my, as my father's family was being shoved onto reservations and shoved into boarding school, my mother's family 
settled on homestead property in, in West Central South Dakota. So I have both those stories running in my veins. And um, on, my, on my grandparents' farm, there's this really old tree. And I don't know, trees and stuff, like, it's, it's a scraggly looking tree. And um, it doesn't bloom very many times. I mean, maybe if it rains on the prairie, it'll, it'll bloom. Um, but trees are really, in Lakota country, uh, trees are really sacred. And they um, are really funny. They have personalities. They are often from the from our culture. They all of our ceremonies revolve around trees because there's just not too many of them. And so, um, yeah, like if you see a tree on the prairie, you gotta wonder how the fuck did that tree get there? <laughs> How's it surviving? Um, so I. I I get a lot of questions from native people about also like like trees on the prairie. How how did you get to be a PhD student in in public administration and public policy in Idaho? And it's like I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's just not too many of us out there. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I have to look at notes occasionally because. That's just, um, I, I, I can't really tell stories. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, speaking of trees, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess like uh, being in a, a PhD program is like super new and it's exciting when you first go into it. I'm like a little seed from a tree and probably like, when my ancestor tree dropped me, they were probably like, Takoja, grandchild, you are stubborn. It's time for you to go, because I am stubborn. So I, I guess I just, um, I wandered off. And if you can imagine a seed getting picked up by a little deer, that's like what I kind of imagine going into a PhD program. It's like, you think you're smart and you can make it. <laughs> Um, so you're just kind of frolicking in your newness and a new adventure, right? Um, but I started my PhD program in 2020, and I don't know if you were in Boise, Idaho <laughs> in 2020, but it was kind of a shit show, and I'd like to give you a little recap. So uh, uh, in early 2020, the while the... Idaho legislature was passing anti-trans bills and anti-affirmative action bills. Somehow, the native people in Idaho were able to pass a bill recognizing missing and murdered indigenous people. And uh, I was able to be part of that. Yeah. That's, that's like indigenous magic right there. Um, but also, we, got, we were like the last state to get hit with a global pandemic. Turns out we are really shitty at dealing with a global pandemic in Idaho. And also, um, we can't forget about uh, the critical race attacks on public institutions and public education in general in Idaho. And well, that certainly hit Boise State really hard. Um, so into my second semester of my PhD program, I'm asked by the vice president of 
uh, student affairs to give a land acknowledgement at our university, which would be given at convocation, which is a ceremony that brings in new freshmen. And I am, I'm super excited about this, even though we're all living on Zoom land, and so you know I got to record it a bazillion times. But I'm like super proud of it because like. I'm pretty, I talk about the way that I carry uh, both my colonizer ancestry and my indigenous ancestry, and, and much like Boise State carries a bunch of stories, right, from all kinds of different people, and it's just a cool place to be. Um, and, and just like how I've grown to be, uh, identify myself as a scholar. Um, and then about a day before it's supposed to get played, um, the vice president calls me to tell me that they're canceling my speech. And um, with no uh, explanation for why that is, except that they're worried for my safety. And up at, the, at that time, there had been a lot of folks of color and activists in our community had already been attacked by white supremacy. And um, even students on our campus, my students had been attacked on campus or for their activism and their efforts. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is the point in the story where I got to tell you that the little seed that was traveling in the frolicking deer gets hit on Highway 34 on South Dakota by a big ass truck with probably a Let's Go Brandon sticker on it, and it dies. Um, and just when we think that the seed is going to rot in the deer guts, there's a turkey vulture just sitting there watching. And it's so happy. I don't know if you know anything about turkey vultures, but they're ugly. They're scraggly looking. They're usually covered in guts. They got red heads, so you really can't tell. Um, but that little turkey vulture goes and feasts on some deer guts and picks up the little seed and goes on a new adventure. Um, and before we get judgy about the turkey vulture, my people um, have a delicacy called taniga, which is deer gut soup, which is super delicious. So, I mean, the turkey vulture knows what's going on. Uh, but the turkey vulture does fly to my grandparents' house and shits out the little seed. So if you were wondering how the tree grows in the prairie, that's how it happens, pretty sure. Um, yeah, and just like that, um, the little seed um, starts, so it just sits there. I mean, am I supposed to be grateful for this experience? Am I supposed to be thankful that um, my speech got canceled at public university, at a place where I should be able to tell my story, at a place where I should be able to recognize our indigenous people who are supposed to be in this valley, a, a place that should be hearing the stories of our students, especially um, folks who struggle to, who are first generation, who are just, we don't know how we fucking got there, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I, I can tell you that the, the next year is a really lonely one. Um, I don't step foot on campus for a full year. And even when I tell my faculty, and they're just, they, they have nothing they can say to me. And all the faculty that, and the administrators that I, that I thought could support me no longer could support me because they're just being attacked constantly and worried about their jobs. And we had a massive turnover because of 
this place. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's really hard to be to be on campus and feel like you belong. Um, but the little seed starts to grow. And when Native people ask me how I'm doing or how I got there, or they always ask like, hey, Mal, how are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? Because they know I'm the lone fucking tree on the prairie. We don't know how the fuck she got there. We just know that Native students are not gonna get a lot of support in those places, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, I, am I supposed to be grateful for this? And I don't really know the answer to that question. Um, I can just tell you that uh, when I have, um, when my native students or any of my students come before me and their ancestor trees have dropped them in front of me, I can't tell them that higher ed is the place for them. I can't tell them that their stories won't be canceled. I can't tell them that they're not gonna get hurt. I can't protect them from the pain and the sorrow that they're gonna feel. I can only take their little seeds to the other, to the stronger carriers. I can only take them to the buffalo or the elk or the hawks or the eagles. I can only take them to the places where I know. And only then will I be grateful to see them move on in their journeys. So thank you. Ms. Mel. All right, we're gonna do our first slammer of the evening. I feel sorry for whoever has to follow that. We got Thane coming to the stage with our seasonally appropriate receptacle. Thank you. Thank you, Thane. All right, coming to the stage, your first slammer of the evening on the theme, am I supposed to be grateful for this? You have five minutes, please welcome Laura. feeling it was gonna be me because when I put it in it was the only one in the can <laughs> um, so I mentally prepped a little bit but not um, enough obviously uh, so the first thing I thought of when I heard the theme I'm supposed to be grateful for this was um, family Thanksgivings growing up maybe we all kind of thought in that realm um, and I want to talk specifically about my great-uncle Bill. Uh, <laughs> great-uncle Bill loomed large in my childhood for a lot of reasons. Um, the big one was that every Christmas, he would line us all up, me and all of my cousins, in a row, and give us all our gift, which was a laminated, sealed penny, one cent, that was from our birth year, which <laughs> was about the least impressive gift for a child <laughs> that I can possibly imagine. Uh, the other reason is that every year, um, my grandma, we're like the Von Trapps, my family gathers around a piano and sings carols. And my great uncle Bill holds down the bass and nobody can touch him. And when my great uncle Bill started singing, everyone had to just kind of like, eh, you know, because he was so good and loud. 
and deep. Um, and <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think any of me or my siblings gave my great uncle Bill much attention. Um, you know, when we were kids, because there was a lot of other stuff going on, and a penny did not quite do it. Um, I'm going to take you back to 2006. In 2006, uh, you don't know my last name. Don't Google it. Uh, <laughs> my father, uh, my dad, had suffered a devastating loss. He ran for governor and did not win as a Republican. Uh, and... In 2006, this was a huge deal, I was 14 years old, uh, a campaign mailer went out to every state in the household that had my photo on it, I was 14, I had braces, not a good time for the most photographed era of my existence. Um, <laughs> and in 2006, that was what, November 8th, something around then, uh, and that year for Thanksgiving, we all show up and my great uncle Bill is sitting there at the table, at the adults table, wearing a shirt that says Barry Hess for governor, which is not my father's name. <laughs> and I can just remember that silence <laughs> and that look from my dad. And uh, <laughs> I think looking back, um, I'm so grateful because that was the first time I ever saw anyone stand up to my dad. And that was a huge moment. Um, and, you know, it's part of family folklore now. So remember that, that time Uncle Bill <laughs> wore that shirt to Thanksgiving. Two weeks after, he didn't even wait till Christmas. He just, <laughs> he just went for it. Barry Hess was libertarian. He won like 0.5% of the vote. It didn't, it was just to say, my dad, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, my great uncle Bill passed away a couple weeks ago, and I just found this out via text. Um, my grandpa uh, sent a text to all of us, and he has an Android. It's like a group message that's sent to like a thousand different numbers, and everyone's liking it and reacting, and <laughs> it's all over the place. But um, I don't know much about him, and I. I, would, I need to learn more, but uh, I'll always remember him, and I'm grateful for that. And that's it. We worked in the How's it going? Um, we did a volunteer thing together once. We're just putting it together. Yeah. Well, sweet. Um, Laura, make sure you go visit our Slammer booth uh, and sign our release form, okay? Um, you can do that in intermission if you like, or it looks like it's coming towards you. Thane, did we get any more Slammers in the watering tin? We got two more? Did we? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take one. For the win, I'll just stand up here awkwardly while... It's very relaxed tonight, isn't it? I'm not even drinking. Are you guys drinking? Yes. Great. Good. That makes everything better. Temporarily. <laughs> All right. Coming to the stage next. Danny.
Danny. Maybe I read it wrong. Danny four? David. Does this look like David? Allison, does this look like David? Right, looks like Danny four to me. <laughs> David, hi. How's that? All right. Gosh, it's bright. I'd have brought a hat if I'd have known this was going to happen. Uh, but I saw that subject, and should I be grateful? Um, I, th I see the answer is yes, because I saw a presentation by somebody, very entertaining guy on YouTube, uh, and he said one of the secrets to happiness is write down three things you're grateful for every day. Doesn't matter how small they are, doesn't matter if they're a piece, just write them down. Start to train your brain to look out there for things to be grateful because it knows you're gonna ask it, hey, what are those three things? Turns out if you're looking for things to be grateful about, it's kind of like one-way pipes in your brain. You can't see things that annoy you or make you unhappy as much. So that's why I thought I'd get up here. I think I'm a storyteller because I remember talking to people and people around me laughing, so let's hope. <laughs> So I uh, just got back from Hawaii uh, Sunday. Uh, went there for a vacation, um, had a good time, you know, the, the, the usual thing. Went out on uh, a snorkeling trip, and you're in this big boat, and you're going out in the big water, big water. It was you know, pretty big. A lot of the people are worried about getting seasick and this kind of thing. Uh, and they're going to take you to a protected area where you get to snorkel just sort of cut out that uh, suspense that we're going to be doing that. So we're going through the big waves, and I have my pack that I carry around with me everywhere, uh, which also has a harmonica in it. Carry that because I get stranded a lot. I don't see very well, hence that's why she couldn't read my name. I was just guessing where the paper was. Uh, I, I haven't been able to drive since 1998, so about that level. So anyway, I, got this, I get stranded. Ubers don't come or whatever. I got my harmonica to pass the time. Well, I had it with me. I'm on this boat. Pops into my head. I start playing Gilligan's Island. Do, 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 do. The tour guide comes over behind me. He knows all the words. He starts singing it. And I've been thinking, oh, this is great. This is great. I should be grateful for this. I get to be the center of attention. He's getting to go to have a good time. And then partway through it, I think, wait a minute. You know, that's not the best song to play while you're out there in the heavy water. A lot of people that haven't been out here before, but I kind of got to finish it. Uh, anyway, that was one grateful flip. On the last day we were there, Sunday, we're in Maui. I'd seen people swimming on beaches and stuff, but this was an organized tour. You're like, hut, 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 you know, you're going. I, I didn't get to go swim on a beach. So here I am, going to swim down the beach. In you know, next to the beach uh, in Maui, I had my swim goggles and stuff. I'm an okay swimmer, and I went out there, and the first wave comes up. Oh, you know, that's the water's warm. That's nice. Well, it starts to pull me in. I had to lean back to keep from getting pulled out into the water from this wave. And I'm thinking, shit, this is not peaceful. And uh, you know, I didn't see this on Magnum PI or any of those shows. So I'm a little worried about getting out there, but turns out once you get out into the water, it was all calm and easy to do. So anyway, I get to swim out there in the sunshine and the warm water off of Maui, get on the plane, three airplanes, two cars, one bus, and a train later, boom, I'm back here in Boise. And it's 20 degrees, and there's snow on the mountain, and 
that's a little bit of a shock, but the thing I like to do most in life is downhill ski. My nickname is Downhill. Yeah. Bogus Basin, it rocks. So um, I'm pretty grateful for that, but everybody around me is bitching to hell. Oh my God, it's cold. You know, we were just down here and it's beautiful, warm, and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of, should I be grateful? I, maybe I better keep it to myself. But I'm pretty grateful because I see the snow up there. Uh, they open on Thanksgiving, by the way. That's next week. Uh, so anyway, just I'm you know kind of jetted out, and you're not getting more than a couple hours of sleep anywhere on these airplanes for a day. I go over to the YMCA. It's right next to my house. I've been swimming laps there for 25 years. I'm gonna just you know go get the joints working again after all that airplane seat time. Jump in. I'm swimming along in this crystal clear water. The sun's coming through the window, making little patterns down there. And this is wonderful. I've got this every day. You know, after just, but should I be grateful? That sort of devalues this expensive and time-consuming trip I was just on swimming in, in Maui. But no, I'm going to be grateful. This is wonderful. Uh, even got a little uh, sensory roller coaster on it because it's cold at the Y compared to Maui. I'm kind of cold. I don't produce heat very well. I'm coming down to the end, and that's where the warm water that goes into the, you know, they heat the pool. So right at the end, oh, I swim into this warm water. So I slow down to try to absorb that up. I do flip turns. I don't know if any of you guys swim, but do a flip turn at the end. And right at the end, the water's like 20 degrees colder. So as soon as you flip, boom, your head goes in cold water. And I thought, oh, should I be grateful for that? back in the warm water and cruising through it. So the answer is yes, you should be grateful for all that. Look for three things to be grateful for every day and write them down. Do that for three weeks and you're kings. Thank you, David. Thank you for that story and lesson. I feel like you are just five minutes away from being a motivational speaker. <laughs> you have all the right elements. We know where we can find David. The why in the mornings, <laughs> bogus in the afternoons. <laughs> awesome, thanks for coming up here, David. All right, I am excited to bring up your second featured storyteller of the night. Um, he has been a slammer a couple times before, um, and he's been working very hard on his story. Um, and please join me in welcoming his first time featuring to the stage, Sky. There's an old saying, to conquer a beast is to first make it beautiful. I have yet to conquer my beast, though I'm finding more beauty in the fire that it breathes. This beast lives on a spectrum of extremes, internalized, and on one side is mania. This is my euphoria sitting in a Formula One race car, being able to swerve, going through, seeing the world at the fingers of my tips right here, and having no time for peasants. <laughs> On the flip side, 
is my mental mafia lurking in shadows, waiting to drag me down to the depths of depression. And if I were to find the bottom, it's less a suicide to escape and more a self-murder to silence. Some time ago, but more recent than you'd expect, it was a clear blue day and I'm standing on my roof shirtless, smoking an American spirit cigarette, listening to Rage Against the Machine on a portable speaker. And I'm lighting up, I'm smoking, and I see this airplane. And I look at it and I step back and I go, hey, you can go to hell. Flip my smoke, grab another one, light it. There is no airplane. There never was. And this moment of lucid psychosis just hit me so hard I sat down. I've had nearly two weeks of sleepless nights, energetic days, and seemingly odd outbursts. There's one place for this savagely slippery slope to end, and that's the hospital either in the mental ward or on a cooling board. My roommate at the time was this calm, curly-haired physical therapist. And I grew up playing soccer with him, and we'd won and lost plenty of battles on the field. My behavior was not lost on him. From time to time, he'd look at me and just be like, hey, man, you uh, maybe try for a couple hours of sleep tonight. He'd also make sure to reassure that he did not see anyone follow me home. And after the disappearing act of that airplane, I went on a walk that didn't end until the following day. Finally home, I saw my roommate and I asked him, I said, hey, would you be open tonight to going to dinner with my dad and afterwards, driving me to the mental health facility. And his response was, I bet your dad would like that Spanish tapas place over on 14th. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think he would. And, and little did I know that he was concerned about me and had talked to my parents and my timing was right on. That evening, at dinner with my strong Wisconsin father, and we shared stories and laughs. And when the check came, I told my dad that I'm having my roommate drive me to the mental health facility. And in unspoken words, my dad gave me courage and told me to ask if I need anything. On the drive to the mental health facility, in my roommate's hand-me-down avocado, <laughs> grandmother's Chevy Lumina, I told him, I was like, hey, what you need to do is turn off your cell phone, turn off the uh, radio, and I need to know how good is the recording equipment of cassette tapes, and how about go ahead and turn off the headlights, because that way no one can follow us. And in a calm, 
non-judgmental voice. He said, yes, can do, and let's keep the headlights on. He dropped me off to fight a battle on my own. And as I walked up to the entrance of this nondescript building, I muttered those words. And it was, yes, can do, and let's keep the headlights on. I kept moving forward. I did not turn around. Upon check-in, I was back in that Formula One race car, being able to round each one of my great ideas, my supposed experiences, and I had this innate ability to judge someone's positivity versus their negativity. Soon after that paperwork was finished, I was admitted. <laughs> and <laughs> once accepted in the asylum, I had this potential for relief from my disastrous thoughts. And even though I thought they were still kind of awesome, I went on ahead and changed into the standardized clothes, this loose-fitting eggshell white top and these drawstring pants, along with the tall, just awful desert tan socks that had this white grippy grid across the bottom, which makes it impossible to moonwalk. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I thought to myself, how much help is going to be provided in this place that has these multiple two-person sleeping rooms, this brightly lit hall, and this large activity room, small doctor's office, and a yet-to-be-explored cafeteria. The first four days were this fog of medication, blood draws in and out of the doctor's office, cups of mysterious pills, Art projects in the group activity room, generally mundane guest speakers, and this looping effect of food on, then off my tray. Which doctor am I speaking to? Do they care, or do they only care that the orderlies are watching the prescription that they prescribed wash down my throat? and seemingly perpetual art projects. I do keep one of those drawings on my fridge as memorabilia. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how group art is therapeutic, yet the mad genius artist is soon to be left alone. There seems to be this thin line between brilliance and madness. It was the fifth day, and I'm dragging my feet in line behind the other poor lost souls in the cafeteria. As usual, my eyes don't leave the tray. And I've been numb for days to this jovial chef who would make these irritable, silly food puns. I took the food, and I'm walking away, and I look down at it, and I decide it's as tasteless as the stupid socks that I'm wearing. And I go and sit down at the furthest table 
from anyone. And as I look at my food, I have this increasing brutal realization of memories from the past weeks of what if. Was that real? And the damage done to relationships near and far. At what point do I give in to the terror of my genetic flaw? The chair next to me slipped ever so slightly, and I looked over, and there's that silly chef with an outstretched hand with a bowl of partially melted chocolate and vanilla ice cream, and he makes a nod towards the table, and it's this table of chatty, dumb sock-wearing patients that seem to have received a dose of his posit positivity. I then took that bowl and stood up, and he warmly said they also enjoy ice cream. The soon-to-be-diagnosed bipolar beast turned and faced the sun. And I had this composure wash over me and walked up to the table, and they pulled out a, a chair for me. I smiled and thought to myself, these crazies are crazy if they want me to sit with them. The following day, I woke up and had a cup of hot chocolate and this warm sugar was the first time that I tasted in six days. In the cafeteria, I had this new appre appreciation for this table of crazies. They were my fellow enlisted comrades in the Battle of Don Quixote's Windmill Warriors. <laughs> and later that day, a guest speaker came in and their words landed differently. The candy-coated terminology was absent. This wasn't your standard med school grad. This person viewed me as a whole human being. And they have a talent to incite life-enriching dialogue in this therapeutic ingenuity. And I'm fortunate to continue a relationship with this person. The two-headed beast has found a handler. Someone to validate the elegance of the emotional spectrum, to hold a mirror without filter, to acknowledge the superpowers and super disasters and allow me to calibrate and keep between the lines. I have yet to have someone tell me that my diagnosis is sexy. <laughs> now I'm going to let my freak flag fly without concern for consequences, surrounding myself with those unconventional thinkers, and building allies like yourself, the intellectually tolerant. Should I be grateful for my diagnosis? Better yet, can I be grateful that I was diagnosed? 
I feel it's a matter of reminding myself, yes, can do, and let's keep the headlights on. See some people standing out here, Sky. Maybe your diagnosis isn't sexy, but telling that story sure is. I got some people on your feet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you want to feel sexy and talk about <laughs> talk about your deepest, darkest things, please put your name in the in the purple watering tin. Um, we are going to take a short break for intermission so you can refresh your drinks, use the bathroom. Please also take time to take in the art that's on the walls. This is all Searle's art. Uh, Searle is, uh, you know, the, I don't even know how to describe it. Her, her legacy that she has left has um, just done amazing things for arts and arts in the community. And she's an amazing artist. So please go take, take that in um, while you have the opportunity and that you are here. And we will see you back in about 10 minutes. Yes. And we would like to start that second half of the show uh, with your focused attention. <laughs> Sky's all back there. He's about to run for governor. Yeah, well, I see you. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, we are going to start our second act with a feature song from our band tonight, A Grateful Trio. Wait, did you guys just do that? What's that? Did, you guys Wait. ready? Oh, a song? Sure, yeah, we love what songs. What are those? You're familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, a song, a song. All right, this one's off our first album. It's called, uh, what's that called again? Um, let's talk about you. And I feel so empty But to bring it all together Means you, you and me forever But you talk so much I never forget it And through my teeth I said it, I meant it, believe in love Tell me the truth Sleep. 
I just might regret it Believe in love Tell me the Beautiful. Thank you. I'm feeling real PBS vibes right now. <laughs> oh, sweet. All right. Uh, let's do a slammer, shall we? Yeah. Woo! So many people put their names in the purple watering tin. <laughs> I'm so proud. Thank you, Thane. Please welcome to the stage, Melissa. to my partner all the time. Don't touch it. I'm not a comedian like Beth is. I just like to pretend I am. Um, yeah, my name's Melissa, and uh, Beth and Laura's stories made me uh, think about a story that I could tell. And um, the first part is about childhood, and now your parents suck. <laughs> and But her you know, they're still lovely, like, they're, it's complicated, right? Uh, so, um, my mom, uh, I didn't realize in, for a long time that my mom hates children. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was no exception to that rule. I'll give you some examples. So. Uh, when I was 12, I started my period, like many young ladies. And you know, all sometimes you're like, oh God, my mom's, she's gonna just be blubbering over me and it's gonna be so annoying. And that's not what happened with me. I was like, mom, I started my period. And she goes, oh, swell. And then she proceeded to leave and she left the house. <laughs> 
it's a true story. Uh, and when I was 14, I, uh, I, I, I can't imagine why I took this track, but I started smoking pot. <laughs> and I, I don't, if maybe some of you longtime locals that might be here, I was at the Crazy Horse. And yeah! I was being a total badass when I was 14, that all ages club. And, um, uh, I got arrested and the police officer pulled, you know, saw us as we were walking and it was like 10 after 11, which was our curfew. And I got arrested and he, he's like, hey, what do you have in your bag? And I was like, I have cigarettes, I have marijuana, I have, <laughs> cause I was a total badass. So that gives you kind of like an idea. And my, my mom, as she had to, I, I was like, I'm cool. And then I had to call my mom. And my girlfriends were like crying right away. And I'm like, whatever, you guys just got curfew. And then they call my mom. And I just, of course, start bawling. And uh, she comes to pick me up and she doesn't say a word and, at all. And, my, and it's my dad that gets to give me the talk. And the talk was, if you ever want to smoke pot, just you know, let me know and we'll smoke pot. <laughs> And I was like, Dad, your hookup is my hookup, which is my sister. So, <laughs> no. So that gives you kind of like an idea of my relationship with parents. Um, fast forward to, uh, to this year, uh, my mom got diagnosed with bladder cancer uh, and I was able to, every time she got sick, my, my folks live out of state, and so every time she got sick, I, I was able to leave and go when she was hospitalized, and, um, which is, you know, I have gratitude for that, but it's also awful and hard, and, um, uh-oh, see, I'm all upset now. I don't remember <laughs> the point of my story. Uh, so there's lots of times that I, I was heading down to Phoenix and like at the drop of a hat and going to help my dad take care of my mom and watching her slowly kind of just waste away like the person I knew was, was leaving, was leaving us and, um, <laughs> There's one time where, because she was so checked out, like we'd got her home from for hospice, and <laughs> I'm going to tell this, and it's going to make me look like a terrible human being. Uh, I mean, you'll know me as as the terrible human being I am. I mean, <laughs> there, you know, I, I some of you probably dealt with hospice, but when you have hospice, they they're moving furniture, so like the your loved one can like actually be at home and we were lucky enough to be able to do that and the guy was moving in hospice and my sister and I were hanging out and we're kind of in this space where we we're kind of dark people and we're making jokes and my sister's like oh yeah move the death furniture in we're gonna put it in right there and I'd start losing it and I'm laughing and the guys thank you for the two people that laughed by the way <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I just start laughing, and the guy's like, you guys really didn't like your mom, did you? <laughs> and 
I'm like, no, we, I know, we're just terrible people. We loved our, we, we loved, I mean, love our mom, because she wasn't dead yet. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and then it came, it, the last time I uh, went down when my mom was hospitalized, it, I realized uh, it was time and I had to call my sister and my brother and say, hey, you need to come now if you want to see mom before she goes. And um, Oh no, I lost it again. I have ADHD, did I tell you guys that part yet? <laughs> I'm sorry, and she's like, you have to stop now. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, that just that process, you watch your loved one uh, turn into not that person, and uh, I was lucky enough to have the last real conversation with my mom before she left, and I was able to be there with my dad holding her hand when she left. And, I mean, I don't know if I'm grateful. I think I am. Melissa, if you could visit our Slammer booth and release your losing your mother story to us for our podcast, that would be excellent. I thought you, Melissa, I thought you, when you said that your mom told you that she had bladder cancer, you were gonna say you just turned around and walked out of the house. That's... <laughs> that would have been... You can have that. That's yours next time you tell the story. <laughs> All right, I am so pleased to be able to bring up your third and final featured storyteller tonight. Um, they are a uh, professional and uh, a veteran on the Story Story Night stage, but this is their first time to flagship, um, and we are excited to have them here. Please welcome Ben. Thank you, Beth. My girlfriend and I were two years into our relationship when we decided to explore polyamory. Ah. Now, we are both very shy, very retiring, very non-communicative people, and this was our first real sit-down, pay-the-bills-together, talk-about-things relationship. And in some cases, it was wonderful. And in other cases, it was not. Particularly on the subject of intimacy. Now, to give a picture of our respective sexual characters, I am your grandfather's jalopy. I am sitting in a field, rusting away gently. There is a family of mice living in the under the wheels, in the, in the well, I like to be left alone with my books. That is intimacy for me. <laughs> my girlfriend, if you want to picture, a Harley Davidson motorcycle, ready for anyone. 
and wants to get on the road and go far and go fast. And this caused a lot of difficulty between us, as you might imagine. Uh, but two years into our relationship, she came to me and confessed that she was bisexual and had been holding back that part of herself because she didn't know if I would accept her for that. And I said, of course I accept that. And then a light bulb went off on top of my head and said, and have you ever considered polyamory? Because I'm obviously not giving you everything that you want, and apparently I can't give you everything that you want, so why don't we open this relationship up and you can go and find someone else to give you what you are missing? Because isn't it true that if you really love someone, you let them go, and if they really love you, they'll come back? And she got really angry at me. She pointed a finger in my face and said, this is a ploy. This is a ploy for you to sit in the corner with your book and watch me make out with a hot girl, isn't it? This is, this is a ploy just like Samantha in Sex in the City. That's what you want, isn't it? And I said, no, I honestly just want you to be happy. And she said, just you wait. I will show you wrong. I will go out and find myself another boyfriend. See if I don't. And I said, fine, go on, go find another boyfriend. Just get laid for Christ's sake. <laughs> and she did go out and she did find a boyfriend. And I'm here to tell you that it is true. If you love someone, you should let them go. And if they love you too, they will come back. But sometimes they come back with a little dead mouse that they lay on your pillow next to your face when you're asleep. And my dead mouse was 6'2", slender as a willow wand with long, wavy hair. He wore three-piece suits every day for everything. He had a tattoo on his face that he drew in every morning before, just as he got up. He met her at the Whole Foods, because of course he did, and he drove her home <laughs> in his Tesla, because of course he had a Tesla. And his name was Sebastian. <laughs> Thank you. His name was not actually Sebastian, but every time I saw him, I would think, oh wow, that's a Sebastian, isn't that? If you saw him walking down the street, you would say, oh wow, that's a Sebastian. I would ask my girlfriend, so how's Sebastian? I mean Sebastian, I mean Sebastian! And he was very, very good at filling all of the needs that she had been missing in the two years of our relationship. I would be waiting up deep into the night to one and two o'clock in the morning and she would burst in to say, I just spent two hours in the shrubbery along the green belt. <laughs> or, uh, we just spent four hours over the hood of his Tesla up on Bogus Basin. Or, do you mind if I disappear for a weekend? We're going to lay in bed and watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the extended edition. And how did I feel about this? I was fine. It was great. 
wait, this is what I wanted. This is what I had suggested. And I'd be damned if I was going to complain about it. But, you know, if you cook for somebody, someone that you love, and you're not a professional, but you feel that your cooking gets the job done, and then they take up with a professional chef and talk about, oh, what they're eating now is the best thing they've ever had in their lives. It sits with you. And did I feel a little bit abandoned? Possibly. And a little bit neglected? Maybe. And did I feel that I was being demoted from beloved life partner to live-in butler who got the groceries? Mm, no comment. But as a retiring, shy, non-communicative person, I am a great believer in holding on to your feelings. And instead of having difficult conversations with people you care about, just bottle those feelings up. And then if you hold on to them long enough, the situation will change and you will be left with a mental wine cellar of resentment. And that's nice. So I didn't say anything. I was genuinely happy that my girlfriend was getting everything that she needed, but I didn't spend a lot of time along around Sebastian except to say, oh, hi, Sebastian, now you've got, not, that's not your name. So sorry, gotta go, goodbye. Until Thanksgiving, when my girlfriend's mother, in an attempt to welcome in this new polyamorous lifestyle we'd found ourselves in, invited both Sebastian and myself to dinner and sat us next to each other. <laughs> and there he was in, with his facial tattoo and his beautiful dove gray suit and me not. And he turned to me just as dinner was getting started and said, so what do you do? And I had heard all about his life, what he did for a living, and he hadn't heard a thing about mine. That was, that was grand. I said, I'm a bookseller. I, uh, I sell books. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't read. In fact, I, I lost exactly what he said at that point. The sweet potatoes were frozen halfway through my mouth, but he said something like, I think that the masses need to put aside silly entertainments like fiction if we're really to evolve as a species. Thank you. And that's when I discovered that we had not sat down for Thanksgiving dinner. We were at the Sebastian Show with your host, Sebastian. And so his talk about how the human race needed to evolve led to, to a discussion of his rare meat diet, which led to a discussion of his six times that he'd been in the ER in the past year, which led to a 30-minute discourse about his Tesla, of course, which led to a story about how he and a bunch of friends had gone out to CUNA with a Ouija board, and they had... It's, 
communicated with the dead and all of them had gotten really sick and he had met a Buddhist priest who said, my friend, you are possessed by a demon and the only way to get rid of this terror to your health is for me to draw this facial tattoo over one half of your face and you must do that every day when you wake up for the, next, for the rest of your life, which is a very interesting story. But it did not stop. And all around the table, all my girlfriends, mothers, friends, and family were putting down their silverware with a clink, 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 as we realized we were being held hostage by a man with opinions. <laughs> and I looked at my girlfriend seated, seated across from us at the table, and I tried to communicate with my eyes saying, no wonder all you do is fuck him if that's the only way to shut him up. <laughs> and I looked a little further and I said, and furthermore, I thought we were opening our relationship, this thing that we have and treasure so that you could find more happiness than I could give you. But I feel that I've been replaced like old batteries, and this is the upgrade? <laughs> well, eventually that terrible Thanksgiving came to an end, and some months after, the reign of Sebastian came to an end as well when he texted my girlfriend, hey, you should go get a Brazilian wax because it'll be so much better for both of us. Yes, that gasp right there. That was all of us. And after he was gone, because he was gone soon after that, I sat down with my girlfriend and I opened one of those little resentment wine bottles and I poured a judicious amount of my feelings. And she explained to me that it wasn't really about being with Sebastian. It was about trying to be Sebastian. She wanted to take into herself all of his adventurousness, all of his elegance, his style, his boundless confidence. And yes, she wanted his Tesla too. <laughs> but she realized that this was a bad relationship but it was a bad relationship that she had never had before. That I was the first person she had felt comfortable opening to and she knew that I would be there as her safe place when things came crashing down. And in the years following that, there have been a lot of other relationships that she's had with many different types of people but the questions that we've been asking each other about that is less who do you want to be with than who do you want to be. And I have gotten rid of some of my resentments and am quite happy to serve as the snarky best friend in this ongoing polyamorous rom-com that I find myself a part in, living in hope that one day I'll meet a girl for whom a jalopy rusting in a field with a family of mice is just her speed. <laughs> but the important thing that started on that terrible Thanksgiving 
was figuring out who my girlfriend really was, and that started the long journey and the long story of how my girlfriend became my boyfriend, Frederick. And being a part of him and being there to support him in all this is one of the great joys of my life. And for being part of that story, Sebastian, wherever he may be, for him I am very grateful. Thank you. Like Ben covered all the jokes there. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, let's get the let's get the Waterington back up here. <laughs> We're gonna do three more slammers, you guys. We got three more slammers coming up. Mm -hmm. Ah, please welcome to the stage, Crystal Moore. You guys keep it going for Beth and the band and all the rest of the storytellers. This has been such a great night. I was sitting over there literally thinking, I don't want to go after Ben. That was, that was just such a beautiful story. And it was fucking killer. Like, that was a solid 10 minutes, Ben. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to say to, to Cy that nobody's... Um, just don't feel bad because nobody's ever told me that my diagnosis is sexy either. Um, mainly because I think my diagnosis is OCD, which is arguably one of the least sexy diagnoses. Um, but I don't blame it for putting me in the hospital. Um, I, I blame uh, the church mostly for that. Yeah. It's the Mormon church, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, there's a few of us. Oh, congratulations to the rest of you who got out, if you're here. I'm just assuming you're out. Good for you. So am I. I got out. It's fine. I made it. I can read. I researched it. Turns out it's um, totally false. Yeah, yeah, because I was a terrible Mormon. <laughs> it was really hard uh, growing up. I, actually, the the reason the story came to mind for this um, for this show for this theme was the the name. Uh, you know, am I supposed to be grateful for this? And and every time I saw that, I was like, Oh God, that's brilliant! I love that name. Um, but also, that's how it felt to me growing up Mormon just all the time. I'm like, am I supposed to be grateful for this? <laughs> like, um, I'm, I'm supposed to be married forever and pregnant with spirit babies forever? <sighs> That's just not my idea of heaven. Um, 
And, and then, you know, this dude died gruesomely for me, and I'm supposed to be grateful for this? Like, I didn't ask for that. Um, if, if you could take it back, I'd, I'd love you to do that. Um, it's pretty violent and crazy. Um, <laughs> now, I made it out, uh, and uh, I have a comedy show about it now, so. Um, if you're also a disaffected Christian or an ex-Mormon, you found your way out, you can check it out, Jack Mormon Comedy Hour for Latter-day Sinners. Um, we prefer the whole title, that's right. <laughs> I'm a prophet. Mm. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Um, I still, though, I still find myself kind of in this position where I don't know if I'm really grateful for that, like I'm grateful that I'm out, and, and I like to tell myself that I'm grateful for that experience because I have this this thing to bring or this light to shine or whatever. But um, sometimes I feel like that's just me patting myself on the back and giving myself a hug because I'm not really grateful for that experience. If I could have never been born Mormon, I that's that would have been nice. Um, if I could not have any of that sexual shame, that would be awesome. Because uh, I've gone to so much therapy, and I've started a comedy show about it, and I've written the gospel, and it's just like still there. And, uh, and I'm like a slut, so it's really hard. <laughs> like, what do you do? Um, thank you guys, though. If you're... Uh, you know, in that position where you find yourself, and I think that's the way it is with anything that's traumatic or big, you know, the, you, you want to hold on to it as something that's meaningful or important to make it like worth the whole fuck of it all, you know? Um, and, and it doesn't matter if it was or it wasn't, you can make it up because um, it is just to make you feel better, right? So if you have to start a comedy show to make yourself feel better about your religious trauma, do it, you guys. Come talk to me afterwards. Uh, my name's Crystal Moore. Thank you so much. That's what happens when you bring your comedy friends to the show. They just plug their shows. <laughs> like, I didn't notice what just went on there. <laughs> Crystal. <laughs> so glad you got out of the church. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, let's do another slam. Let's do another slam. <laughs> oh, how the roles have changed. Um, you're like my Vanna White thing. <laughs> and I'm like that white guy that was opposite Vanna White. <laughs> I don't know. Who's it? Who's it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pat Sajak. All right, please welcome to the stage your next storyteller. You got five minutes on the theme. Am I supposed to be grateful for this? For this? Ricardo. He's going for the stairs, he's going all the way around. Nice, like a gentleman. 
had a couple drinks, so I didn't want to trip. I understand completely. That would have been something. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Ricardo. I was born and raised in Costa Rica. Um, it's a great place. We have a saying called Pura Vida, which is all about being grateful. Um, about two shows ago, we're, by the way, we're uh, subscribers. Yeah. We love, we love story night, like all the stories. <clears throat> and a couple shows ago, somebody asked me, of course, because everybody, every time I open my mouth, people are like, where are you from? So I was like, I'm from Costa Rica. And they were like, why the hell are you here? We're all trying to go there. <laughs> so this was my first, am I, what, am I supposed to be grateful for being here, right? But I've been in the States for 20 years. It's been a long time. I, you know, I uh, like uh, stereotypical Latin American, I came to play soccer for school. Uh, but I do get one question all the time and people are like, so, People want to know about my status somehow. And they're like, so are you American? Or, and, and then I say, I'm a permanent resident. That throws people off. Like, what does that mean, a permanent resident? So, so you're American? Not a permanent resident. So that's, the, that's the whole green card thing, right? OK, so what's the difference? And, and I. I boil, it really boils down to one thing. There's one thing I cannot do, and that is to vote. I can't vote. I can do everything else, but I can't vote. Mainly, and I've been here for 20 years, so I could have done this you know, 10, 15 years ago. I could have gone for uh, citizenship, but I'm not into politics. I think I'll, you know, I don't believe in politicians. They're crooked, except her dad. Her dad's a cool guy. <laughs> Yeah, your, your dad is great. Dave Hez, on the other hand, fuck that guy. Dave Hez, fuck Dave Hez, fuck Dave Hez. No, your dad's cool. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not into politics. I've never been, you know, growing up in a country that thrives on uh, natural resources and tourism. We believe in our turtles. We believe in our jaguars. We believe in our land and our mountain and our trees. Like. It was being talked about earlier, right? So, um, so a few years ago, um, five years ago, me and my wife, Darcy, she's over there. Um, we, um, it was Independence Day, and we wanted to do something special, right? And we were talking about doing a hike, and um, and she was struggling a little bit. She was like, I don't know how I feel about this holiday. Am I supposed to be grateful for this? Am I supposed to be grateful because the president is this guy, Donald Trump? Am I supposed to be grateful for, uh, you know, because there was like all this, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, racism thing going on? Am I supposed to be grateful for the flag? Am I supposed to be grateful for the United States in this kind of situation? And uh, <clears throat> what we wanted to do really was to go for a hike. And... Uh, and we did, and but you know there were there were feelings, right? Am I supposed to be grateful, right, on Independence Day? And we ended up having a conversation that boiled down to uh, kind of like what our my man was saying, which is: Is Donald Trump the United States? Does he represent the United States, right? Or Joe Biden or some other guy, right? 
is the river that is out there when you're hiking in dry creek, right? Is the hawks that are flying around. It's the, uh, the trees that are out there that represent, this is the land, right? And this land's been here way before Donald Trump and Joe Biden and other things. And not to say that there, we don't have problems. We have problems. We're going to fix them. Um, but we do also have some shit people in Costa Rica. <laughs> and we have shit people everywhere. Um, and, you know, in many countries, and, and certainly here in Boise, and certainly in other places in the United States. But do we have some awesome people here, too? And actually, this community right here, we've been... You know, we've been part of the Story Story Night community for many years, and man, this is this is awesome. This is really is. Thank you, Jody, wherever you are, Jody. I know you're out there, you know, just being awesome. You guys, thank you. This is part of the community, and really, this is the United States, and um, so I am grateful for it. Um, we ended up so so our hike to Bogus starts at our door like at our home and we hike all the way up to bogus basin right ended up ended up being just a hike it turned into a triathlon so we swim on fridays saturday uh we bike the bogus and then we hike two years ago i got invited to i'm a triathlete so i got invited to race for team usa um and i this year, I'm going to do my third world championship for Team USA. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful. And next year, I'm going for my citizenship. So don't let shit people bring you down. Focus on the good things. This is it. Ricardo, I hope after you get your citizenship, you're going to vote. <laughs> he just doesn't. That would be funny. <laughs> uh, I totally agree with what Ricardo has said. This, is, um, this has just been like the best part of my year. So thanks, you guys, for, for coming here and being here. This is wonderful and amazing community. And it really strikes me as everybody's telling their stories like, wow, how different everybody is and their stories and where they're coming from. Um, and like, this is America, <laughs> you guys. Like, this is America. This is our America. And it's fucking shitty sometimes. <laughs> but it's ours, and um, I think this is the best of the best of it. So thank you for being here. We're gonna do one more slammer. Yeah, one more slammer. Please welcome to the stage, Jeff Fillmore. Jeff, backing up your partner. Yeah. Woo. I don't know, is that good? Okay. This nice, the lights are bright, I can't see anybody, so. Oh, um, yeah, I also grew up Mormon. Not anymore. 
I was the invisible kid, and that's why I was good at Mormonism. I would just hide, I'd show up, and then, you know, people would think I was good. Um, but along with that, I, with the trauma that's associating from hiding from everything that's going on or, or disassociating yourself, and being the invisible kid, you become very shy, very uh, not wanting to be involved in things, want, not wanting to get pointed out. So I don't know if I can be grateful for this. <laughs> but you know, I guess I got to start with a little bit of background. Yeah, everybody, I don't know how many people here grew up in Idaho and had school lunches at their school. Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. There was this. I don't know if it was an enchilada or a burrito or a combination of the two or something that they created that had all these beans in it that on one day would taste good and the next day you're like, what is this? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I kind of liked it. I kind of not. But this one day in seventh grade, you know, it goes on and it's like, okay, hey, this is a lunch. Hey, maybe it'll be good today. So, of course, I'm going to eat it. Um... Well, of course, the fifth period rolls around. It's science class. It's, you know, test day. You know, teacher, he's probably, you know, 70 years old. I don't know how he's not retired yet. I mean, he's, his daughter-in-law is teaching at the school. So, um, of course, you know, the class is dead silent because this guy, he was ruthless about how he... Um, ran his class. So everybody is dead silent, heads down, taking the test. And um, I had beans for lunch. <laughs> so, of course, you know, you're like feeling the pressure build up and you're just sitting there and going, I just need to get through this test. And of course, he won't give a bathroom pass during a test. And you're just Sitting there, you're like trying to get through the answers, and you're like, see, all the way down. <laughs> Just so you can turn the test in, and maybe you get a pass to the bathroom. No. So I'm sitting there, and you know, you're just like, okay, let's just, let's just let a little bit out and see what happens. <laughs> can you give me a B flat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was nice and loud. Of course, my face goes bright red. My face immediately goes down on my desk, and the whole class is up there just roaring, just laughing, trying to figure out who it was. Well, of course, they knew exactly who it was. It's the one kid that has his head on his desk. And uh, the, my science teacher, in all of his infinite wisdom, comes up in front of the class, gets in front of his table, and, it's a natural body function. <laughs> I am grateful to Mr. Storms. He, uh, he got everybody laughing at him and not me. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate, uh, yeah, learning not to be the invisible kid and teaching my kids not to do that. That's it.
Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really glad we had that heartfelt moment before the fart story. <laughs> this is America! <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was a great way to, to end it. Uh, what would the night be without a little toot toot, you know? All right. Um, I'm just gonna finish up with some announcements. If you guys want to relive this entire experience, we have, uh, we will put the show on our podcast, um, which is on iCloud, SoundCloud, or iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, you can go to storystorynot.org. And we also have a radio show. It's called Story Story Night, and that's on Stray Theater. So you can check that out. We'll pull a couple stories from tonight and play that. Um, you can find sh uh, uh, photos from tonight's show on our Facebook and Instagram page. Thank you. A big round of applause for our photographer, Christina Birkenbein. <laughs> Um, as one of our slammers mentioned, uh, we have a program, it's uh, called Story Subscription, or you can become a Story subscriber, and you will get, uh, for $25 a month, you help support this on a ongoing basis, thank you. And you get a show, you get a ticket to all of our shows, so for this month, that was two, for next month, that's gonna be two, we've got one more late night, and we've also got our flagship season uh, starting up this month, it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, and we are starting uh, with Taste, the first of our flagship series of The Five Senses. Um, our first lineup is going to be on the next page. It's <laughs> we have an amazing lineup um, for the Taste Show. We have a four-time James Beard-nominated chef, Chris Camaro, and we have a contestant on a new Netflix series called Drink Master. Ashlyn Gamble, and Matthew Kelly Melton with his own Leaving Las Vegas story. So you can find tickets to that on our website. And as I mentioned, if you become a story subscriber, you can get tickets to that and to all of our shows. So please, please do that. Go to our website. Yes. Yeah, you can clap there if you want. Okay. Just a, a few shout outs. Uh, Story Story Late Night is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Arts Commission, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, thanks to our crew, technical director, podcast engineer, Stephen Baldessari. Yeah, Stephen. Thank you to our volunteers, uh, our volunteer tonight, Thane. <laughs> Big round of applause for Thane. And to our volunteer coordinator who's not here tonight, uh, Natalia DeJosia. Um, yes. Thank you to our board of directors. Thank you to our story subscribers. Thank you to our producing artistic director, director Jody Eichelberger. And a big thanks to the VAC for hosting us. We love being here. Thank you to our bartenders. Thank you to Chaz, who did the lights. And one more round of applause for our band tonight, a grateful trio. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you, Dave, for making us sound so good. Mr. Dave Eilers on sound. We'll see you all again real soon, we hope. And thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Please rate and review this podcast to help other story lovers find us. 
thanks to host Beth Norton and musical guest The Grateful Trio. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.